I love what our brother says there, where you need to examine the evidence for yourself, and you need to search it out and research. And really, that's why we've been doing this series all summer. How do we know that we know? How do we know that we believe that the Bible is true, or that God exists, or that Jesus Christ really is who he said he was? And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to lay out the evidence for Jesus Christ. Uh, We understand who God is in Christ, and we want to know why we believe that. And so that's what we're going to talk about uh, today. And a lot of people ask, well, was Jesus a historical figure? Did he actually exist 2,000 plus years ago? And there will be critics who say, I don't believe it. I've never seen Christ, so how do I know that he lived? And they use this convenient and fallback position, prove it to me. And if you prove it to me, then I'll know. And I think in order to do that, we have to examine the existence of Christ in the same way we'd look at any other historical figure. How would you prove that George Washington existed or Napoleon existed or Caesar existed? And sometimes I'll ask my students, do you know that George Washington existed? And everybody will say, yes, we know he existed. I'll say, how do you know he existed? Uh, Do you have proof? Did you ever meet him? Did you ever sit down and have lunch with George Washington? Did you ever have a conversation with George Washington? They'll say, no, but... He's on the dollar bill. He must be true, right? We just know that he's true. Well, he is true, but how do we know that he's true? We know he's true because people who lived during the time of George Washington attested to that and wrote that down. And while that's only a couple hundred plus years, we're looking now back 2,000 years at Christ, but it's the same way. We examine the testimony. And the, the testimony of the existence of Christ is overwhelming. Oh, and by the way, very few people or very few critics even uh, deny the reality of the history of Christ. Uh, But most importantly, we know that there was eyewitness testimony. We know George Washington and Napoleon and Caesar existed because people who witnessed their lives spoke and wrote about what they heard and what they saw. And that's the case for Christ as well, as there is overwhelming eyewitness account of his life on earth. And the first way is just through the Bible. And our eyewitness account of the apostles and those who lived in the times of the apostles and of Christ. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16 said, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his, of his, of his majesty. John chapter 19, verse 35, John said, And he who is seen is born witness, and his witness is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth, so that you may also believe. These accounts in the New Testament of Christ were being circulated within the lifetime of those who could have denied the existence of the reality of Christ, but they didn't because they couldn't. In fact, Peter said in a sermon in Acts chapter 2, men of Israel, listen to these words, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst as you yourselves know. The disciples could not afford to risk any inaccuracies, which would at once be, they would be exposed as liars because these things happen right among the people. And if they were lying about it, they, people around them would have denied it at that time. Acts chapter 2, verse 22, again, says, as you yourselves know. Not only that, but the New Testament writers knew that relating such remarkable facts might cost them their lives. I mean, uh, how many people do you know? that would gladly be imprisoned and even executed for refusing to recant a legend. 
But these New Testament writers went to the death testifying to the reality of Christ in their life. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, again said, they did not follow cleverly devised tales. And if you don't believe the eyewitness account of the Bible, then you would think there would be eyewitness account outside of the Bible of historians who write about Christ, and indeed there were. Josephus was a first century historian in 37 AD. He wrote about Christ in his work, The Antiquities. And he writes, Ananias convened a meeting of the Sanhedrin and brought before them a man named James, the brother of Jesus, who was called the Christ, and certain others. He accused them of having transgressed the law and delivered them up to be stoned. Josephus also writes this, and, and one of my students one time asked me, is there any evidence outside the Bible of the resurrection? Does anybody else in the first century attest to the resurrection of Christ? And they did. Josephus writes, about this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he was one who, who wrought surprising feats and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, upon hearing him, accused by men of, him, of the highest standing among us, condemned them to be crucified, those who had in the first place come to love him did not give up their affection for him. In other words, just because Christ was crucified, the people who followed him still loved him. And on the third day, he appeared to them restored to life, for the prophets of God had prophesied these and countless other marvelous things about him. And the tribe of Christians, so called after him, has still not to this day disappeared. Or how about this uh, first century historian, Tacitus? He writes, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite, exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. And one of the reasons I love that quote is because not only is he describing the events of Jesus, but he describes them in historical terms. He puts it in the time of Tiberius and during the time of Pontius Pilate, just as the Bible attested to. Now, those are just two examples, but there are a lot of examples, countless examples of first century or second century writers other than the apostles who wrote about the existence of Christ. Pliny the Younger, Lucian, Aristides, Galileus, and many others uh, whose names I cannot pronounce are, are first century historians. If you want to look more into this, I recommend a couple books for you. The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, who used to be a journalist for the Chicago Tribune, looked at the evidence uh, that a reporter might use to examine a story. And then the book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, which really helped me in college by a man named Josh McDowell. Both of those men started out as critics of the Bible and through their extensive research were convinced of its validity. The eyewitness testimony of the historicity of Christ is undeniable. So much so that J. Vernon McGee one time writes, the evidence for the historicity of Christ is so great, I know of no historian in the free world who would dare place his or her reputation on the chopping block of denying that Jesus Christ ever existed. So very few people deny that. But the second question is, was Jesus the Messiah? And we're going to look at the verifiable deity of Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, In Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Jesus was both God and man. And that is one of the fundamentals of our faith. 
We believe that God loved us so much and wanted so desperately to communicate with us and to offer payment for our sin that he became one of us. He looked, took on the likeness of a man, Scripture says. Jesus was not just a great moral teacher, not just a good leader, not just one of many. Jesus was God in the flesh, come to this earth. And it is really important that you understand that because many of the other world religions and many cults today say, yeah, Jesus existed, but he's not God. And it's very popular today. And friends, you need to know Jesus did not begin at Bethlehem. That was his incarnation. God became one of us and dwelt among us. John chapter 1, the apostle writes, in the beginning was the Word, and that Word was Jesus. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and lived for a while among us. But how do we know that? How do we know Jesus was God in the flesh? First of all, the Bible attests to it. The New Testament clearly presents Christ as God. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Paul calls Jesus both God and Savior. The scripture attributes characteristics to him that are godly characteristics, characteristics of only God. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus is always present. He said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. His omnipresence. In Hebrews, Jesus is never changing. It says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He healed the sick, raised the dead, forgave the sinner, things that only God can do. Paul viewed Christ as God in the flesh when he wrote, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. He says, God in the flesh purchased you with his blood. When Stephen was being stoned, he called upon the living Lord Jesus and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The writer of Hebrews calls Christ God when he says, But the son, if the Son, he says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Of the Son, he said, is God, and his throne is forever and ever. Then we have the confession of Thomas, who didn't believe in the resurrection of Christ until after he saw him with his own eyes. He said, I won't believe until I put my hands in his wrist and in his side. And I don't know about you, but I identify with Thomas. I mean, he said, look, not every day does somebody raise from the dead. So unless I see him, I'm not going to believe. I need evidence. And eight days later, after Thomas had given his doubts about Jesus before the other disciples, the scripture says Jesus came through the doors and he stood in their midst and it said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, reach out your finger and see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side and be not doubting, believe. Thomas fell on his knees. He said, my Lord, my God. And Jesus ended that with this. He said, blessed are or you see me, Thomas, because you and you believe. Blessed are those who do not see and yet still believe. And that's you and me, friends. Yeah, we haven't tangibly seen Jesus, but we experience Christ. We know Christ through the evidence. We understand that he sits on the throne. The Bible attests to it. Jesus himself claimed to be God. During the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, Jesus was approached by some Jewish leaders who asked by what authority he did miracles, and Jesus ended his comments by saying, I and the Father am one. In John 8, 19, he boldly answered, if you know me, you know my Father. In John 12, verse 45, it said, he who sees me has seen the Father. And those references indicate that Jesus knew and he looked at himself as God in the flesh, equal with God. And then in the Gospel of Mark, we have the trial of Jesus in Mark 14. <clears throat> and those trial proceedings are one of the clearest expressions of Christ 
proclaiming to be God. The high priest arose and came forward and questioned Jesus. Imagine the intensity of this moment. Do you make no answer to what these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him, and he said to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with clouds of heaven. And tearing his clothes, the high priest said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to death. But the Bible does more than just quote the apostles and Christ in regards to his deity. Last week we mentioned that the Bible, we believe the Bible because of fulfilled prophecies. And one of the reasons we believe in Jesus Christ as Messiah is because he did fulfill prophecy. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that deal with the promised Messiah. And of those 300 texts, 456 specific details of his life and coming are given for us. These prophecies are amazingly clear. The Bible said he'd be born of a virgin, he'd be called a Nazarene, they'd cast lots for his clothing, that he'd be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, that he would die by crucifixion, that he would be buried in a borrowed tomb, and that he would be raised from the dead. And Jesus fulfilled every prophecy. That's not just a coincidence. It provides evidence to the fact that Christ was who he said he was, God in the flesh. In fact, in Psalm 22, it says, They will look upon the one whom they've pierced, and it describes crucifixion 700 years before crucifixion was even invented. In 1940s, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in Qumran, and they proved that those prophecies were written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Carbon-14 testing showed that the scrolls predated Jesus by a long shot, and the prophecies were true. Now, no man can predict the future, but the Bible tells about who Christ would be, and Christ fulfilled those prophecies. Not only does the Bible attest to it, not only does Christ himself say it, not only do the prophecies help prove it, but by his miracles, we understand who he, who he is. John chapter 10, it said the Jews gathered around him and said, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you didn't believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe them because you're not my sheep. I and the Father am one. Jesus performed undeniable miracles, and no one who lived in that day could deny that they happened. That's why when the apostles defended their faith in him, just by saying these things were done in your midst, they said, guys, you know these miracles were done. These miracles were done right in your midst, and no one could deny it because they knew they had. The ultimate miracle is the resurrection. What more evidence do we need than somebody promised that he would be killed and three days later he would be resurrected? That's not what happens today in predictions. In fact, did you know that today or this week was the 30th anniversary of the NASA scientists' predictions of global warming and the devastating effects of climate change? Uh, Mr. Hansen looked many years into the future and predicted the harmful effects. And just this week in the Wall Street Journal, an article entitled 30 Years On, How Do Global Warming Predictions Stand Up? They wrote, on the 30th anniversary of Mr. Hansen's galvanizing testimony, it's time to acknowledge that the rapid warming he predicted isn't happening. Um, my, my only point is, it's very convenient to be able to look 30 or 50 or 100 years in the future and say this is what's going to happen for sure. 
It's not provable in our generation until you get 30, 50, or 100 years out. And then when the predictions are not true, someone else comes along and says, let's wait another 100 years. That is far different than a man who says in three days, I will come back to life from the dead. Very defendable, very obvious, whether it happened or not. Jesus Christ predicted his resurrection, not only through prophecy, but to everyone who would listen. And his claim that he would die and resurrect were well known. They were so well known that the Romans who executed him put two guards at the temple so that if anybody came by to try to take the body, they would be there to defend uh, the, the, uh, the stealing of the body. But three days later, Jesus did exactly what he said he would do. And the angels appeared and the Roman guards, so powerful, fell, the Bible says, like dead men. In other words, they fainted. And I guess I would too, because if I was at a funeral service and the person jumped out of the grave, I might fall like a dead man as well. The resurrection had such an impact that it changed the tradition of thousands of followers who believed in the resurrection and who were willingly put to the death by those who were out to squelch the impact of Christ. And it's one of the reasons that we believe that Jesus is the Christ. It is who he claimed to be. He fulfilled prophecies. The Bible attested to who he was. The apostles attested to who he was. Outside sources attested to who he was. And his resurrection ultimately attested to the fact that he indeed was God in the flesh who came to live among us, redeem us from death, and to resurrect on that third day. Not only that, but we also know that Christ today exists because he has authority today. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus Christ's authority and impact over this world can be clearly seen. And people from every generation have believed in him and submitted to his authority and tested to his impact. Sometimes people say only ignorant people would believe that Christ is a great person or God. Listen to some of the most brilliant minds that have ever lived that have believed in Christ. Napoleon came to the end of his life and read the scriptures every day and came to these conclusions. Quote, superficial minds see a resemblance between Christ and the founders of empires and the gods of other religions. That resemblance does not exist. There is between Christianity and whatever other religions the distance of infinity. We can say to the authors of every religion, you are neither gods nor the agents of the deity. William Shakespeare, perhaps the greatest literary genius of all time, wrote in his will, I commend my soul into the hands of God, my creator, hoping and assuredly believe through the merits of Jesus Christ, my Savior, to be made taker of life everlasting. Lord Byron said, quote, if ever man was or God man, Jesus Christ was both. Charles Dickens said, I commit my soul to the mercy of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I now most solemnly impress upon the truth and beauty of the Christian religion as it came from Christ himself and the impossibility of going for, far wrong if humbly but heartily respect it. All of these individuals and millions of more, people all around the world of every economic class, of every age since Christ came, have believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. No, it's not ignorant people. It's people that have studied, that have learned, that have taken time to study the evidence and evaluate the claims of Christ, to evaluate his life, to look at the evidence, and to make a determination of what will we do with Jesus. Jesus Christ is more than just a man. He is the divine creator of the universe, the one without whom nothing has been made that has been made. 
who came into this world to die for the creation's sin. He is God incarnate. He is the one declared that before Abraham was, I am. The one who said, I and the Father am one. And the ultimate expression of his authority, of course, was that resurrection where he said, I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Friends, Jesus Christ is real. Do not deny it. And one day we will know that fact because before him every knee shall bow. All who have ever lived, the most voluble atheist, the most rational skeptic, the most wicked and profane and vile, one day will bow their knees and proclaim that he is Lord. And the church still exists today and thrives and lives are changed and marriages are mended and the hurting are still helped and the sinner is still saved all because Christ's authority and impact in this world. And he still changes people today. I was studying last week for Project 215 because I was going to teach not only in here, but I was going to teach uh, in Project 215. And because some of the crowd is sometimes the same, I like to make it a little bit different and do some things that are different in Project 215. And so I was researching last week on the claims of the Bible versus the claims of other world religions. And I began to, claim, to look at the claims of the Islamic faith and the Quran and uh, Mormonism and, and the Book of Mormon, the claims of Joseph Smith. It's interesting to me. While the Bible has much historical verification, not only in the cities and the times and the places and the events, and these events are recorded outside the Bible, I find much of, um, of that not existent in the Quran. In fact, did you know that Muhammad, when he lived, wrote several instances of the Quran, uh, stories that were well-known fables of his time, and yet he included them in the Quran as if they were fact, because, well, that was his historical kind of setting. In fact, one of the stories he tells is of Jesus who was born. And when Jesus was born, he writes, he was born and then he was teaching right away, right outside of the womb. Jesus Christ was teaching. And you know what he taught? He taught the truths, he said, of Allah and that Allah was God. It seems unreasonable, but it was a fable of the time as well. Not only that, there was another fable of the time of Jesus who took clay and made a bird and then sent it off and to fly. That was a well-known fable in Muhammad's time, but people then saw it as fact. And here's my point. There are multiple instances in the Quran of events that we do not know that ever existed or ever happened or cities that never existed or never happened or well-known fables of the time that are told as if they are true. Muhammad himself said that, that Jesus Christ uh, did not die by crucifixion um, and, uh, because God certainly would not put him to death. An absolute contradiction to Christianity. The Book of Mormon does similar things. As it talks about tribes or uh, peoples in the Book of Mormon that we do not have historical record of. It's certainly not the way that he described. Here's my point. If you are a person who wants to study and look further into these things, there is ample evidence to believe in the Bible. There's ample evidence when you compare it to other world religions, there will just be something that happens that resonates in your heart. And this has happened to me many times as I've been teaching a class of students or as I'm teaching in a, in a setting like this, that there is just something about the words that are spoken, that when they're spoken, there is a resonance in your heart. There's just something inside that you know, this is truth that's being told. This is truth that's being spoken. And I think there is a resonance that happens when truth is told. The Bible 
one of our Bible college professors said, does not read like a lie. And it doesn't read like a lie because it's true. And so I'm just asking you today, if the Bible is true, it changes everything. It changes the decisions that you make. It changes your future. It changes how you hold on to the promises. There are 3,000 promises in Scripture, all of which are for the claiming. And if you believe and know that the Bible is true, then you have the opportunity to study it. And it can change your future as you claim the promises of God. So as we go through this series, you take time to do your own research. You take time to make a lifelong process of being a learner, somebody who knows what you know. God, we thank you so much for just the opportunity to study faith, to study faith in you. And yeah, there's always a step of faith. There's a step of faith for us to believe in any person who ever existed. But we know based on evidence that people existed, the impact they had. And God, there is more than enough evidence, both through the Bible and outside sources, through fulfilled prophecy, through the resurrection of Christ, that what we read in the Scripture is true, and we believe it. That what, what happened in Christ's life actually happened, that who you claim to be actually is who you are. And God, I pray that we would be convicted by that, that we'd be motivated by that to have life change happen in our lives. And God, I pray that as we live our daily life, we'll look to the Word of God for guidance and direction and for the Holy Spirit to lead us. And God, we'll look to Christ as our Savior. God, we thank you for this series and thank you, God, for giving us enough evidence to believe so that we could join with those millions of people around the world proclaiming when Christ returns that you are the Son of the living God and that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to that fact. And God, thank you. Now we worship you. And we thank you for Christ in our lives. We pray in your name. Amen.